0: I'm not going to be vague about what today's episode is about because today's episode is about being specific. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit episode number 35. My name is David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. So, it's the month of August and it is a busy month for me. I am on a pending deadline, a hard deadline to get a project done by the end of this month to help myself get all of the work done that I need to do outside of this podcast, but also to keep this podcast, I think, relevant and also consistent. I I really want this podcast to to always come out on Monday, no matter what, and um, there are going to be some months in order to do that. I'm going to have to take my interview episodes which i try to do every two to three episodes no less frequent than that but in the case of this month i'm gonna have to sandwich next week's interview episode which is a good one in between today and two weeks from now which are going to be short solo episodes but ones that you can listen to quickly and i hope will have some kind of a, a message or some kind of instruction that will help you in your musical journey in becoming a more well-rounded, efficient, and frankly, just a good musician. So one of the books that I read a long time ago, I actually read it a couple of times, is the 1937 classic book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And if you've never read this, the title is deceptive, because it doesn't really offer schemes to increase your bank account. Instead, it talks about cultivating a mindset that leads to success. And and it's the type of success that might happen to include, but does not necessarily limit itself to monetary wealth. The thing that I took away from that book that I still remember today is that a big part of the philosophy stresses the importance of setting a definite goal, And I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. What is a definite goal versus an indefinite goal? And while I've thought about that book a lot over the years, very recently I watched the three-part series documentary on Netflix about the life of Arnold Schwarzenegger called Arnold. I've mentioned it before. I grew up a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. When I was going into eighth grade, 13 years old, I was barely five feet tall now helped that year. I grew six inches and, uh, gained about 20, 25 pounds, you know? So that was, that was very helpful for the self-esteem, but it was also that year that I watched my first Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, which was Predator. And I quickly started watching a lot of others. It it must've been within a year or two. I must've also seen Commando, the Terminator, Conan, the Barbarian, And I'm sure there's another one or two in there that I probably caught within a year or two period before I was like all caught up with at least the 80s action movies that he did. I even read two of his books. I was very briefly obsessed and also convinced that I could become a bodybuilder myself, even though I was what one of the books described itself as an ectomorph body type and kind of lacked the genes to ever look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Although, had I stayed the course for year after year, maybe got some coaching, I might have been able to have some success at it, but I never would have looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Anyway, that's just a long way to say, um, even though I, I stopped doing anything remotely related to bodybuilding by the time I was 16 or 17 years old, and it was just a few years later before Arnold Schwarzenegger stopped making the the big hit movies that I had come to know and love. I've always had an interest in Schwarzenegger and his life. And in this documentary, it's in three parts. It talks about him as an athlete in part one, him as an actor in part two, and and as a politician in part three. And one of the things that he said in part one that really struck me was that he had a very specific detailed vision of his success. He hadn't even won a competition yet as a bodybuilder or at least n- nothing other than like maybe a junior competition. He, he hadn't competed uh, against I- events that were regarded even below the highest level. But he said, you know, his goal was not to be just a good bodybuilder or a great bodybuilder. He never really even said that. He said, He was going to win Mr. Universe, and then he was going to win Mr. Olympia. And honestly, I don't remember if it was in regards to Mr. Universe or in regards to Mr. Olympia. He actually saw himself holding on to the first place trophy, flexing his muscles to the crowd in celebration, and hearing the crowd, actually hearing them chant, Arnold, Arnold, Arnold. He could hear the crowd noise. He could see the lights. He could see the camera flashes. He was very specific. And then he would tell anybody who listens, even though he could barely speak English, that he was not just going to go to America and not just act in a movie. He was going to become an actual star and one of the biggest stars. And all of this happened just like he envisioned. Now... I'm a natural skeptic, so I'll go ahead and say, at least he he says that he had that vision. So it's true, all of this did happen. Whether or not he envisioned it that specifically in advance, who knows for sure, but he says that he does. And I'm actually inclined to believe him. I I don't think he, he would really have reason to lie about that. Now, it's not just Arnold Schwarzenegger. I have heard this story or read this story about other athletes and musicians and actors that have achieved greatness, it, it, it sounds almost a little bit immodest, perhaps, that they're not just happy to be there. You know, I, think, I think part of us wants to hear, hear them say, I never expected this level of success, but I'm here to tell you a hard truth, and that is the type of people that achieve that level of success that Arnold Schwarzenegger had, that Itzhak Perlman has had, that yo-yo ma has had that taylor swift has had that michael jordan has had more times than not those levels of success are coming because they were bold enough to envision the success they were having very specifically almost in the way that it happens now sometimes you envision something and it doesn't happen exactly in that way and maybe maybe it could be you don't have all that information but that's the first blueprint now, I might have scoffed at all this if he had just said he he envisioned it happening and therefore it was meant to happen. If uh, if he had said something, this is something that kind of bothers me is when people say the universe wants you to succeed. If that type of thinking is a comfort to you, I'm not going to discourage it. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a way of disproving it. I personally am not comforted by that. I, I don't personally buy into that. But I do think that forming a clear vision, a clear goal of where you want to go is the first step. But what also impressed me just as much from the Arnold Schwarzenegger biography was that he knew that it would involve a lot of work to get to that. It wasn't just set the goal and forget it. His next step was to find people that were a little ahead of him or sometimes a lot ahead of him in, his, in their development And maybe also look at people who had already succeeded, who had already won the competitions that they were looking at, and not necessarily to copy their blueprint for success, but to see what kind of work they were doing. Like how often were they working out? What kind of things were they doing? And he simply decided that he was going to do at least that much, if not more, and that he was willing to do it for a very long time. And he wasn't bothered by failures along the way, Because they weren't failures at his ultimate goal. They were just speed bumps. Having those specific goals were like when you're watching a really engaging show on television. And someone steps in front of you. uh, And, you know, you're trying to see around them. and, and, And as soon as they're out of the way, you're right back. Your attention's right back to where it was going. Even though you probably didn't see a few seconds of what was going on. So whether we're talking about practice, whether we're talking about career, whenever you have a goal that you're setting, you need to strive for it to be definite. You need to strive for it to be specific. Now, definite goals, specific goals, they come in long-term and short-term. So on my blog at davidlanemusic.com slash blog, there was a post that I shared not too long ago. I didn't think it was it warranted enough to be its own podcast. Uh, and, and plus, besides that... This is a podcast about musicians, it's not just a podcast about pianists. Uh, I am a piano teacher in addition to a theory and composition teacher, but I do specific posts on those topics. And I did a blog post fairly recently called What Type of Seven Pianists Are You? And I'll summarize that. I won't read uh, word for word what I said, but the blog was inspired by a question that I get quite a bit, which is, uh, this is from beginners of all ages. Not just the young ones that ask this, but sometimes the adults. How long until I, till I'm going to be good at the piano? Well, the problem with that question is that that's not very specific. How good you are at piano depends on what your goals were in the first place. If I could practice shooting a basketball long enough that I start making even close to half of my free throws uncontested, make most of my layup shots, just kind of playing around by myself with basketball, I might call that success. But you know I wouldn't even be able to play for a, a decent high school team, probably not even an amateur adult league, much less a college team or a lower level professional or the and definitely not the NBA. Someone who truly wants to be like Mike or LeBron, their definition of when am I gonna be good it's probably a long time, and it's definitely a lot, a lot of work involved. But if I'm asking, when am I going to be good <laughs> to just shoot well by myself in some basketball? Well, I might, I might be talking just, you know, a few weeks of fairly regular practice, uh, just getting a little bit better each time. So the way I answer that question is, well, what type of pianist do you really want to be? And I just came up with a list of seven, and I'll just summarize them r- real quick. The first type of pianist is, is the one who's just acquainted with the piano. And in, in other words, you know where the keys are. You can read some music. You might know a few pieces. You can sit down and, and play some arrangements that sound pretty good to you and you know, to some of your friends. It's just to say, hey, I can play a little bit of piano. Second type is, I um, kind of lumped some things together. I said uh, the type of pianist might play for a small church or in just actually not even have piano as a main instrument, but it's your secondary or alternate instrument. So yeah, in other words, you have a solid grasp of the piano as an instrument and you know your, your basic versions of scales, chords, and arpeggios. You have at least average sight reading skills. Uh, the third type of pianist is someone who's going to be like an ensemble player for like a, a rock, jazz, or some other uh, kind of a pop group or a band. And it's a different type of focus. It's where maybe you're not focused so much on reading music, but you're but you're really good at your technique. You're good at interpreting chords. You've spent a lot of time in ear training and improvisation. Fourth type of pianist is what I would say that my average student would really strive to be if they were honest. And that is what I call a well-rounded intermediate pianist. And I take the time to say there, you know, look, intermediate, some people have a stigma against that. You know, they don't want to be an intermediate because they think that's, that's not less, less than good. No, intermediate is less than advanced and intermediate covers a huge world, a huge library of piano and keyboard music and of repertoire of all kinds of genres. Intermediate means that you're playing solid. It's not beginning music. Um, it's, what I would classify much of Mozart, some Chopin, some Beethoven, and you sound good when you play it. You're, you may not be playing the, the flashy virtuoso music, but there is plenty of intermediate music that sounds good to most listeners, including myself. There are Clementi Sonatinas when I go to a retirement center, and I have a lot of fun playing them. The fifth type of pianist that you, know, you might want to be is what I call a gigging professional musician. And this is actually my category. I can play for a medium or a large church. I can play for weddings, dinners, and parties. I can accompany dance studios, or I can play for theater auditions. I'm what you would call basically a collaborative pianist, and I feel pretty confident about playing in in all of those situations. And I know a lot of advanced repertoire, but I have never dedicated the hours to really say that I have much of it under my belt. The sixth type of pianist is that you could become a piano performance major when you enter college at a conservatory. And honestly, it always kind of breaks my heart when I get somebody who has been practicing with the path of not even really an intermediate pianist. You feel like they're on category two, honestly. And uh, they're in high school at this point. And the, you can just tell they just—they have never taken practice seriously. And they're, they they get this goal, this idea. You know, I live in a city with three colleges with music programs. And I just get this idea that they want to be a piano performance major. And you know, I, I want to be gentle, but I'm also pragmatic. And I just have to say, look, maybe there's some other way that you can major in music at this point. But you just don't have the time to catch up by the time you want to be in college to compete with the type of people who are also going to be applying for a limited number of spots and then the seventh type of pianist is the top tier pianist and again being pragmatic i would say i I just tell people if you're already eight years old or more and you're not already practicing an hour or more per day and not playing at least early intermediate repertoire then you need to forget this goal because this is not your top 1% of pianists, this is your top .00001% of pianists. That's 30 Van Cliburn finalists measured against a very roughly estimated 300 million pianists in the world, people who can cl- classify as one of these seven types. You have to devote your life to this single-minded purpose and practice becomes your full-time job eight hours a day. You have to learn the, to master the most advanced repertoire that exists and try to do it better than everyone else has. It's an intense goal and i don't think you choose to do that type of goal i think it's i think you're driven you're almost compelled beyond reason to do this goal in 23 years of teaching i've had students in all the previous six categories but I've never had one that fit that seventh so when i go back over these types of of pianists you know i talk about you know to to be just the category one pianist is just acquainted you know just a little bit of daily practice will get you there and, you know, it may not take you very long. It might take you a year or two. And if you learn a little faster, maybe less than that. I'm not even sure that you need to take lessons. If you want to be like a Category 2 pianist, you know, plays for small churches, uh, piano is a secondary instrument, I would recommend that, that you take weekly lessons. And, uh, you know, also be, be practicing daily at least 15, 20 minutes a day. I think if you're wanting to become an ensemble player for like rock or jazz groups, you need to be taking weekly lessons. You need to be shooting for 30 to 45 minutes of practice a day. If you want to be a good, a well-rounded intermediate pianist, you need to stick with it for a few years of lessons and you know, try to get your practice level around that 45 minutes to an hour a day practice. If you want to be a gigging professional musician, you need to probably be practicing more than an hour a day until you reach a high level, at which point you can fall into a 30 minutes to an hour maintenance or, or slow progress from that point. Of this, I speak from experience. Want to talk about the category six? You know, be, being a performance major at a conservatory, you have to be taking at least an hour-long lesson every week, and you also kind of need to forget about most everything else. I don't, and not necessarily school and not all extracurricular activities, but you're gonna you're gonna have to be very minimal on that. You're gonna have to become a, a specialist in your primary instrument at least for a while. And again, to become a top-tier pianist, you have to start young and you have to make it your full-time job to the exclusion of everything else, pretty much. So now let me give you an example of a short-term goal. Let me give you an indefinite goal. So this is regarding like, what, what are you going to practice this week? So an indefinite goal or vague goal might be, I'm gonna practice a little bit each day as time permits, and I'll try to go through all my assignments and see what happens. A definite goal might be, and again, this is for pianists, I'm gonna double the tempo of my C and G major scales. I'm going to study my note recognition on an app I recommend, musictheory.net, and get 100 correct answers in 3 minutes. I'm going to complete my theory assignment. I will thoroughly master a 16 measure passage in the Beethoven piece that I'm working on to the point to where there's hardly anything else to accomplish in that 16 measure section. So you see the difference? The vague goal, it doesn't give you any clarity. And there's also no accountability because I mean, you could accomplish nothing at all and you'd be emotionally okay with it. But in the definite goal, in the specific goal, you have a target. So what's next after you establish a specific goal? Well, you look at your week, you look at your schedule, your current knowledge of how long it takes you to learn music and you determine how much do you need to practice to make that goal happen. After you gain some experience, it's good to work this step in harmony with your weekly goal. So you choose a weekly goal that you can actually meet, but at the same time you challenge yourself to accomplish as much as you can. And by the way, the correct answer to every time you meet a goal, the correct response to that should be, what's next? Not, I made it. There's a book called The Infinite Game, and I really buy its principle, and that is that you know, this is, this is not something we're, we're not, it's not climbing Mount Everest. There's always another goal and you always want to keep resetting the goalpost so that you can keep moving forward. Now, what do you do if you don't meet your goal? Well, the answer is just don't fret about it because setting goals itself is a work in progress and it's merely a tool. If you don't accomplish something, you know, just look at what you did accomplish and, and where you fell short in your goals. Look at why you fell short. Can you improve the way you practice? Can you spend more time in practice? Are you focused and in full concentration? So you answer these questions and you adjust, if necessary, the ambition of your future goals. So, again, I want to keep this episode short. I'm not going to uh, elaborate on other things in in your life. But I want you to just challenge you, you know, I talked a little bit about practice today. And I talked about, you know, what kind of musician you want to be. But the more specific you can be, the better. And I'm going to stop now, not only for the sake of time, so that I can edit this and, and you know get this out to you, while still working on my project, which has a definite, <laughs> a very specific deadline, with very sp- specific amount of work that I need to do. But I think that this is going to come up in future episodes. This idea of being specific. I would actually challenge you when I when I bring on guests and they. They talk about, a lot of times I'm, I'm asking them for their expertise on a subject. I don't really get into their biographies too much, but I do talk about their biographies. Listen to what they say. Notice how often they talked about having a specific goal. Now, maybe that goal pivoted. That's another thing that we can talk about. I'm not saying that whatever goal you have when you're in high school, you're going to make. But I think you increase your odds of having a high-level success when you can be specific. And I know that you're going to have a great week of practice if you'll just be specific. So that's it for today. You know, if you're a private teacher and you're having the specific difficulties or anxieties of keeping up with payments, of uh, keeping up with your schedule, and so forth, FONS can help with those specific problems. And there's a free trial, and you can begin that, or even just read more about it first, by clicking on the link in my show notes. If you're watching on YouTube, please click the thumbs up. And if you like this, no matter where you've heard it, I would be so honored if you would share it with at least one other person. If you'll send it in an email, send it as a text message, or share it on social media. Again, that's going to wrap things up today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back with you again next week.